as many of you know, our church family, we always look to the North American, excuse me, I'm sorry, the International Mission Board during this season, uh, this Christmas season, and what we're doing is taking up this offering. Every dime that's taken through this uh, goes to international missions. It's not going for overhead for international missions. It's actually going to missionaries. And so we have thousands of missionaries across the world, the Southern Baptist, and this is the time of year that we like to focus in and send a gift to allow them to continue to get the word out uh, to the nations. And so if you'd like to be a part of this, uh, just write on your offering envelope, just put uh, International Missions or put Lottie Moon. Many of you know the story of Lottie Moon. Uh, just write that in on your offering envelope and every dime of that will go to missions. And we'll be taking that up through the end of December. Well, I do want to welcome you here this morning. It seems like it's been years since we've been here together. Uh, the snow, I don't know about you, I like it when it comes, but I like it when it goes, okay? And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a little confused, you know. Uh, many times we have to make the call. It seems like the last three times the weather has come in on a Saturday night. And it's not fun making a call whether you're going to have a service or not when it's sunny outside and you got to make a call about the next day. And uh, so we find ourselves or have found ourselves that way many times. And, and just to let you know, uh, our intention is never to call off church, but we want to protect your safety, and we know that uh, you can worship the Lord anywhere. Uh, we, it is a great uh, time when we can come corporately to worship the Lord, and I believe we've been mandated in Scripture to do that, to come together. But uh, I want to thank you for being here today. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. A little bit later, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 1, but right now, I need you to turn to John chapter 1. We're continuing the series, Let There Be Light. Two weeks ago, we looked at the whole idea that the light has come, and today, we're going to be looking at the fact that the light, the light that we're calling Jesus, can be experienced. So if you'll look at the series introduction on your outline, Jesus is the light that has come from heaven. The light that has reached us is like no other and has come like no other. Now, this past, well, actually it was two weeks ago, I, I, I called in one of our scholars here in the church, and uh, I'd heard some things that he told me about a year ago, and I thought, well, you know, if I ever preached on light, I'm going to go back and get that information. And so, anyway, I called him up on the phone. He came and met and sat down with me and talked to me about something that I had never seen in Scripture before. And so, for you deep thinkers, when it comes to Scripture, I'm going to give you a little insight, okay? Uh, but it's not directly for me. But anyway, I want you to look here on the screen. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, what you'll notice in the very first part here, what you're noticing is the fact that God is in the creating business, okay? But what's really interesting is when you look at the description of what he's about to do, he's telling you where he started. And where he started was the fact that you see the, the phrase there when it says it's without form and void. Now, any great artist who sits down will, first of all, face a plain canvas that's in front of them. And so then they begin to create the masterpiece that they're hoping to create. Now, what's interesting is that is the same wording we're seeing here is the master, the, the, the author, the, the creator is about to sit before the canvas and begin his process of creating the world. But he's creating this beautiful picture that we'll see. 
And so first of all, you're introduced to God. In the beginning, God. But then it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now what's interesting is when you look at this, first of all, we see God, but then guess who we're introduced to? It appears we're introduced to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, and this is the most important part because it ties it all together. It says, let there be light. And guess what? And there was light. Now, when you peel back and you begin to look at certain things here, you you tend to find that sometimes when it refers to things, sometimes we don't quite put what it really is and therefore I think that's what we find ourselves here because here it says let there be light it's not talking about necessarily the light it's talking about the being of light and who do we know is the being of light Jesus Christ himself and so all of a sudden we're not only introduced to God sitting down before the canvas we're introduced to the Holy Spirit who's going to have a role in this but then guess who else we're introduced to we're introduced to Jesus Now, for many people, they would say, you know something? I I thought Jesus showed up in Bethlehem. Wait a second. What do you mean? You're trying to insert him at the very beginning? He was at the very beginning. Over and over and over again, what you'll find in Scripture is that Jesus predates Bethlehem. The light came from the very beginning. And we're introduced to the light. So when it says, let there be light, I'm convinced based on my studies and sitting down with someone and looking at thoroughly that the light here, I believe, is an introduction to Jesus. And it says, there was light. And it says, and he says, and let there be light. And that doesn't mean that he was created in that moment. It's just the whole idea of his introduction and how he comes on the scene. And that's what we find here. But then we go to John chapter 1, verse 1. And look how this plays out. There seem to be parallels everywhere. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, who do we know he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Again, John doesn't carry us to Bethlehem. John carries us and predates Bethlehem. He goes to the very beginning. Jesus has been there all along. He says he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made. Isn't it interesting when you look at the creation story, all of a sudden you start hearing phrases like, let us create man in our own image, and you begin to see all the highlights of all that. Who are they? That's the Trinity. And God himself, he's been, they're being introduced right here in the first several verses of Genesis chapter 1. And all this is starting to play out. And John says, hey, let me tell you a little bit more about that light that shows up in Genesis chapter 1. Let me tell you a little bit more about the creator who was a part of the creation. All of a sudden, here we are. We're introduced to him. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And in him, this is key. This goes from where we know the light came to the fact that we can experience the light. And it says, look here, look at it in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you know what that verse is telling us? That we can experience the light. We can experience him. The light is who? It's Jesus. Now, let me just say this about light. Did you know scientists are even fascinated by light? Did you know scientists can tell us everything that light does, but they really can't, they really don't know what light is? Did you know that? 
defiance that we, we see it everywhere. It's ever present and it's right there. And, but yet they, they can't tell you what it is. They can tell you what it does. They can tell you everything else about it. But they can't tell you what it really is. Doesn't, don't you find comfort in that? That we can't explain everything in the universe? But God can. The one who was there at the very beginning can. The one who is light himself can. And that's what we find right here in these verses. Verse 5, and the light, again, I believe that should be capitalized. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. John is basically saying when Jesus came on the scene, when he came on the scene, he was the light. And the people basically, we're going to see this, were in so much darkness, they couldn't even comprehend it. They couldn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it whatsoever. And then it says a little bit further, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness didn't comprehend it. And then skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh. This light became flesh. All that he said previous to this became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled with us, hung out with us, if you want to say. All of a sudden, this light that predates, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. We're reintroduced to him in John chapter 1. All of a sudden, we can go to Luke chapter 2. We can go to Matthew chapter 1. And all of a sudden, we see a baby who shows up. And guess what? He is the embodiment of the light. The light that will shine into the darkness of man. The light that shined into my light, in my life when I was 8 years old. And when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Just as these gave testimony this morning of that light. All of a sudden, everything begins to change. So how can we experience him? Turn to 1 John chapter 1. This is near the end. You have book of Revelation. Just before that, you're going to find these, these chapters, these John. Turn to the 1 John chapter 1. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you this introduction also. John, the writer of, of this uh, epistle, wastes no time in telling us that Jesus is the authentic Son of God. He is the Son. Other places, John's going to tell you he's the only begotten Son. He's the only true Son of God. And it says and that he has come to make himself known to us. He demonstrates this by telling us that he experienced him personally. John is saying, hey, let me just tell you this. I experienced him personally. Personally. If you go back and read the Gospels, you know what you'll find? Of course, a lot of it's John telling us this. And John wastes no time in the Gospels. If you read between the lines, you're going to find out that John felt very special in the eyes of Jesus. He really believed. I'm convinced that, the, that there was such a strong attachment to John that John walked away thinking he loved me the most. Uh, really, if you read it, you'll find that. And it's very interesting when you study that John was always amazed of the love that Jesus had for him. And John and right now was saying, listen, I experienced that love. I, I experienced it in a real way, in the, in the very presence of him himself who was wrapped in flesh, whose light shined into my darkness. And I was never the same again. That's what he's telling us. He's saying, I experienced him. So the first thing we see here in 1 John chapter 1 
And it's like John is reintroducing this whole thought once again. We're introduced to it in Genesis chapter 1, where we're introduced to that Jesus was a part of the creation account. And then we go to John chapter 1, the gospel. And he says, guess what? He was in the beginning. But then we come to 1 John chapter 1. And guess what? The same thing. Look at what he says in verse 1. That which was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. John's general purpose in writing this letter is to reassure Christians in their faith and to counter the false teachings that surrounded the, the teaching and the gospel of Jesus. First, he states that Jesus has always existed. He, he not only always existed, he was deity. He's a, the central part of humanity. This world is, listen, this world is all about him. It's all about him. But yet we live in a fallen world, don't we? But it's still all about Him. It was about God and Him and the Holy Spirit creating this place. All the way to the fact that we failed in that beautiful, perfect creation. To the fact that now He had to deliver us from ourselves. He had to deliver us from our darkness. He had to deliver us from our sin, our disparity, our shame and our guilt. And all of a sudden, he enters in, and the Trinity is once again involved in a different work. And this work now becomes that whole idea of light shining into darkness to bring about our redemption. The fact that we can be right before the Creator once again. And so all this is about him. Colossians 1.16, listen to what it says. For by him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, both visible and invisible. And then it goes on to say, and all things were created through him and for him. This is all about him. And yet, it was something that fell. Jesus, who is deity, has not only always existed, but at this time, look on your outline, Jesus can be experienced. How can, how can he be experienced? First of all, through a life of flesh. Through a life of flesh. It says in 1 John chapter 1, look, look again at verse 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Now think about what John's writing here. He's writing about his experience with Jesus. Now, now let's back up. He's really describing his experience with the light. With the light. And, and when you think about that, that's, that, that should kind of blow your mind. He's not only talking about his experience with the physical embodiment of God in the form of Jesus... The one that he touched, the one that he laid his head on his breast, and, and all those different things, you see that, that dynamic that plays out. But he's encountering the light, the light, the light of Jesus. Think about it. He experienced him in ways we never could. And he uses the pronoun we and our. He's saying we were there. We saw it. Y'all, this is real. You can count on it. Matter of fact, I'm willing to be persecuted for it. I'm willing to be executed for it. And he was willing to do all those things because he believed in the message that he was speaking here. Jesus, if you think about it, has always been attacked in one of two ways. How many of you see the attacks on Jesus today? It really is. It's amazing how someone, can, all they have to do is be in a room and just yell the name of Jesus. It's amazing the responses people would get just by doing that. Many people would take offense. 
Why would you even use that name? Other people would smile and say, that's my Savior. But it is amazing how this, this one name causes so many different opinions and raises so many different emotions. And yet, it's our only hope is found in that name. You know what that tells us? It tells us the, the depths of the darkness that is out there before us. Anytime there are those in darkness and, and they're living in their sin and they're living in their despair, guess what? The last thing they want to see is the light. And when we present the light, when we speak the name of the light, all of a sudden it is offensive to those who are settled in their sin. And that's what you find in this world. And that's what you find everywhere. But Jesus in the first century was attacked on two different levels. And it's kind of amazing when you think about it. Some attacked his deity to say that if he was a man, then there's no way he could be God. Do you realize that was a big fight out there in the first century? It's really continued on into now. Now, when you look out there and you begin to determine what, what's true faith and what are cults, you know what you'll find? Many times what you'll find that the separation between those two is who you believe Jesus is. If you believe Jesus is the God-man, that he was God in the flesh, then guess what? You have, you're speaking of the true faith. That's what the Bible presents. But if you're talking about someone who says, no, it was God just kind of uh, just found his way and possessed this person who happened to be on earth, that's, that's, that's not the way the Bible presents it. Another way that some have attacked Jesus himself is through his humanity. They basically say, well, if he were God, there's no way he can be human because everything that's human, everything that's material, that is bad. That is terrible. Nothing could come of anything that can materialize. That's, that's basically the thought process of the Gnostics back in the first century. And it fully developed into the second century, these, this whole thought about who Jesus truly was. Now, it's interesting that John, now here's what's interesting, wrote his gospel to prove that Jesus was God, and then he turned right around and devotes the first part of his epistle to prove that Jesus was a man. It's almost like John's out there saying, hey, some of y'all arguing he, that he was a man couldn't be God. Some of you are arguing that he, he was God and therefore he couldn't be a man. I'm here to tell you he was both. He was both. We touched that body. We held that body. That body occasionally touched us. It was real. What I experienced was real. Which leads us to the next statement. Jesus can be experienced not only through a life of flesh, but through the word of life. In John chapter 1, verse 1 again, it says, First John, excuse me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning, this is interesting, this is a very interesting phrase, concerning the word of life. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then when it says, and we beheld, what that really means, it says, we saw in full view his glory. We saw in full view his glory. And then it said, full of grace and truth. You know what I love about the God that we serve? You know what I love about the, the light that shines into our lives? It's full of truth, but it's also full of grace. It's full of grace. And y'all, that's our only hope. Many, for, many of us, if it was just truth, we would stand condemned by that truth. But you know what comes with that truth? grace 
So anytime you're talking about the embodiment of Jesus, you're talking about truth, you're talking about grace. Anytime you're talking about the light of Jesus where he shines into darkness, you're talking about truth and you're talking about grace. And that's just as important when you begin to describe who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is the revealed truth of God. When it says word of life in this context, it means the person and work of Jesus Christ as proclaimed in the gospel as actual and historical truth. These words are words of life, meaning today. And this is what's so amazing about this. We can experience that light. We can experience it. Next, Jesus can be experienced through eternal life. Eternal life. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. It says, the life was manifested. The word manifest literally means something that was hidden has now been revealed. And guess what it says after that? And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. It was revealed to us. Guess what? The embodiment. Again, here's what he's trying to prove to, to his readers. He's basically saying some of you are out there saying he's God, therefore he can't be man. Some of you are saying he's a man, therefore he can't be God. I'm here to tell you he was both. And I'm here to tell you you can experience him on both levels. And he's basically saying that both are true and both can be experienced. And, and, and I, I was one that did. And by the way, there's not only that type of relationship we can have with him. Listen to this. There's an eternal, there's something eternal about this relationship. There's something eternal about what we experienced. You know what's amazing to me is that people, and, and, and y'all, it, it took me years, it took years of discipling in myself to fully understand what it means to have eternal life. You know what most people say eternal life is? Is when they die, something begins. That's eternal life. Do you know when eternal life begins for a believer? Right at their salvation. That's when it starts. That's when everything changes. That's when all of a sudden that light begins to invade the darkness of our souls. And we can move from disparity and shame and guilt. And we can experience the life he has for us truly. And we don't have to look back and live in that anymore. And our identities and so many things. Sometimes our identities and our hurt and our pain and our unforgiveness and all those things. And, and it really marks who we are. But now, because the light has shown us and, and led us into this, we can step out of everything that's of this world and walk into something that's not of this world. That's eternity. That's eternity. And that reality can be alive in our hearts right now. When we allow the light and the word and the grace to invade our lives, we enter into the realm, listen, of eternity. And we're not waiting on it. It can be a reality today if we just come and do what he says he is and experience him in the way he is. The Bible says, how do I, how do I know this? Listen to this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Some of you know this by heart, but look at it. These things I've written to you. John says, listen, you've heard all these things. I've spelled out all these things, some of the things we've already discussed. These things I've written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. You know what that literally means? It's not a head knowledge. You can experience. And I like that word better, that you can experience that you have eternal life. And it's not something that's out there. It's not awaiting your death to enjoy. It's right here. The reality of eternity is right here. It's within our grasp. Now you say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says we'll live for eternity. 
It doesn't say at death, then you enter into Eternity is our reality right now. That's the reason we can live different than most people. That's the reason we see things differently than most people. Listen, when you start taking on an eternal mindset, everything changes in your life. When you start thinking eternity, when you start thinking of your life in reference to eternity, in the context of eternity, everything, your decisions, what you give, what you do, your perspective, every bit of that changes when you begin to look at your life in the context of eternity. But so many of us, what do we do? We let hardship come into our lives. We let hurt come into our lives. And you know what we do? We become very temporal-minded. And all we do is face on those things, face those things and look at those things and hold on to those things. And everything that we see out there is through that lens. When Jesus says, hey, I'm the light, I'm eternity. I am that. Step into me. That's the reason Paul used the phrase over and over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Christ is eternal. We can come into that eternal reality. Our perspective, everything can change. And that's what we're introduced to, especially here. He says that you may know that you can experience that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, the name that far exceeds any other name. There's no other name that you can get this from, basically is what he's saying. You can't get this from any other name. It comes by way of the Son of God. Now, next, we see that Jesus can be experienced through fellowship. Again, this is where most Christians miss it. Most Christians do not believe or do not have never experienced the personal God himself. Did you know you can wake up in the morning and turn your attention to God and focus on Him in such a way that He can reveal things to you? You say, really? You get that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Did you know you can too? Did you know we probably got a room full of people who have? And what, what, it, what it's like is, is me just saying, God, I need wisdom. I need discernment. You said if I ask, I'd get it. And God, I'm trusting you with this. And, and Lord, I, I know I don't need to be have a, a temporal view of my life. I've got to have an eternal view of my life. And your word constantly reminds me that, that, that there's an eternal view that I should have. And therefore, when that hurt comes into my life, that pain comes into my life, that persecution for no reason comes into my life, I don't look at it temporally. I look at it, I look at it through the big picture of eternity. And God, I thank you for that. God, I thank you that everything that touches me in this world is nothing in comparison of what, you, what awaits me. And that's an eternal perspective. And then it goes a step further. And that one who I'm awaiting to live with for, the, for eternity, I don't have to wait for death to have for that to be a reality. It can happen right now. So many people, so many Christians I know don't live with that reality. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also, listen, may have fellowship with us. The thing that's going to bind us together, the thing that's going to put us together is what I've already discussed. That light, that one who is from the beginning, that one who is eternal. That once you do that, then you can come into the ranks of those who have the etern- who are living in eternity even now. And this says that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying there is a, that there is a connection between eternal life and fellowship. 
God the Creator has not left us to fend for ourselves in this sin-cursed, fallen world. God desires to be involved in our lives. Jesus came that we may have fellowship with Him. Now, the word fellowship, look on your outline. It implies two things. And by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to show you this. The two things that fellowship with God brings, it's interesting that the deepest parts of our soul longs for. Let me show it to you. Number one, companionship. Companionship. That's what the word fellowship can mean. And it does mean companionship. It means to be accepted. It means to walk with. It means to be dependent upon. It means, it, it means to experience. That that can be a companionship that we can have with God. But then number two, there's partnership. It's not just companionship, there's partnership. It means to partner with, it means to work towards a common goal. So fellowship, listen, is God's answer to our despair, God's answer to our discouragement, God's answer to our loneliness. Anybody felt any of that lately? The answer is right here. We can have companionship with God through Jesus. We can have partnership in that same way. And it's twofold with one another and with God. Listen, fellowship brings enrichment. It brings encouragement. It brings enjoyment to our lives. The Bible tells us that. So therefore, a relationship with Jesus fills our two greatest needs. And I've talked about this too. I'm blue in the face. It, it provides for us a place to belong. That whole idea of companionship. That's what brings us together. We need one another. We need to be a source of encouragement to one another. We need to realize that God wants that companionship with us. And not only that, a sense of purpose. Everyone looks for a sense of purpose. If you want to write a book that's guaranteed to sell copies, write about purpose in life. You, you know what I'm talking about? Any of those books shoot to the top. You know why? Everyone's looking for purpose. Everyone's looking, why am I here? Most people won't even look to Jesus to find those answers. They try to bypass it all together. They say it's some ancient religion. It's something that, that people who need a crutch in their life, that's what they turn to. And listen, it's far from that. Something greater than that. It's something where that, and to me, here's what I believe. I believe that deep-seated void in the human heart, I think it's basically... Everybody tries everything else to fill it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That deep longing, that deep wanting to belong, that deep just, just give me a sense of purpose. We fill it with everything imaginable, everything this world offers. But again, we never look at it through the lens of eternity. That that purpose that you're really looking for comes from the one who created you. That that sense of belonging that you long for is the longing that God has for you. And he placed it there. But guess what we do? As Solomon, King Solomon, you remember? He wrote Ecclesiastes. He said, y'all, I tried to find a sense of belonging. I tried to find a sense of purpose and everything this world offers. And you know what he, his conclusion was? It's all in vanity. It's all vain. It doesn't matter. It never delivers what it promises. I still had the sense of longing. I still needed a sense of purpose. Then he comes to the conclusion that it was only found in his God. His God, the same God that we serve. That's what's next. 
Jesus can be enjoyed. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. John is saying, listen, I'm bringing you the greatest news the world's ever heard. I'm telling you, I am someone who experienced him in every way possible. And I'm telling you, this is real. Joy means an inner goodness, a cheerful heart, a longing that has been met. John considered his encounter with Jesus to be the most joyful and greatest experience he ever had. Joy, listen to this, is God's answer to emptiness. Many here today, even Solomon, again, tried everything to fill the emptiness. John says, in, John says in this gospel in John 15, he says, Jesus said this, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Do you know when he said this? Do you know where this falls in Scripture? Right after he said this, there's people out there that's going to hate you, they're going to reject you, they're going to want to kill you. And then he says, let's, let's, let's put that in with the whole idea of joy. Isn't it a joy to suffer for Jesus? Isn't it a joy that you can have companionship with me in such a way and partnership with me in such a way that no matter what comes into your life, it will seem meaningless and harmless based on what I'm about to give you. And that's a joy that's outside this world. That's what the light brings. That's how it can be experienced. Next, Jesus can be encountered. We're almost through here. When we are saved, we are called out of darkness into light. You've heard that over and over again in this sermon and, and through the worship and through everything we've done today. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message which we heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So look on your outline. As light, what does that mean? It means light is constant. Light is constant. It takes away uncertainty. Now, how many of you realize that there's not, when we start, when we begin to look at each day and tomorrow, we have no idea what it really holds, do we? We really don't. But there's one thing that we can count on, and that's the certainty of what our salvation provides and the certainty of what that light brings. And it's that idea that we, everything that may hit us, we can still be stable. Even though the storms of life come at us, even though the, it looks like the waves are about to crash over us, guess what? There's a certainty. There's a peace. Jesus had it in the bottom of a boat, you remember? The disciples, they were fishermen. They've been on that, that lake all their life. And all of a sudden, they were fearful of losing their life. Where was Jesus? He's laying in the bottom of the boat, sleeping just as much. <laughs> it's just amazing what this really offers us. Next is light. Light produces life, a true life with peace and joy. How many of you would love to put your head once again on your pillow and, 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 and have that peace and that joy that surpasses everything this world brings at us? When's the last time you had that kind of night? Light reveals truth and deceit. It directs us out of our despair. Some of you are here this morning, and, and if, if we could describe your soul or your life in one word, you probably would say, it is despair. I don't know what to do with my shame. I don't know what to do with my guilt. I don't know what to do with this heaviness that's there, that void that's there. I don't get it. I'm trying to help you to understand it's found in the light of Jesus Christ. He is the light. It dispels the darkness. Next, light cannot be defiled. And by the way, here's one thing you need to understand. Darkness is always the enemy. 
Isn't it interesting that anytime we portray evil or anytime anyone wants to align themselves with evil, there's a darkness associated with it? Have you ever noticed that? It is. It is the principle of this world. And people are following it. They don't even know why they're in it, but it is. It's a principle that God has set forth. Next, light represents what's good and pure. That innocence. An innocence that comes. You ever been around a baby that's really happy? Just laughs out loud. Don't you wish you could long to return to the simpleness of that laugh? And that baby is sitting there and there's they're not dealing with a whole lot of shame. They might be dealing with a bad diaper or something, but they're not dealing with shame and guilt. They're just the innocence. Did you know that can come back? Did you know that's what the light offers? That innocence, that purity, that you can be made whole again. That you can be in right standing with the Creator once again. How does that happen? It happened through the light. It happened through Jesus and His provision on the cross, the blood. All that can come back. It's all possible because of the light. So, so Jesus can be countered as light. Look at the second part, not darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. That is your despair. Darkness produces death. That is the end result. Whether you're talking about a physical death or a soul death, it ends in death. Darkness cannot drive away light, which tells us it's very limited in its capacity. Darkness represents what is bad and evil. It is the source of our guilt and our shame. And therefore, light invites fellowship, while darkness invites sin and despair. To truly encounter Jesus Christ, here's what we need to understand. We must walk in the light. And by the way, that light is a person who was introduced to us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. When God the Creator said, he introduces him into the whole idea of creation and what this whole world's going to be about. And then Paul comes along in Colossians and says, hey, just let me tell you something about this. This Jesus we're talking about, it's all for him, by him, and through him. It's all about him. So here's the application this morning. The fact that we have fellowship with Jesus, the light, and not have to live in darkness is the greatest news the world's ever known. And yet those who live in darkness... They don't get it. They'd rather live in darkness. And when the light shines, many times they're, they're, they're just like we would be if we'd been in darkness for so long and all of a sudden the light came. It hurts. It's painful. And guess what it is? But once we break out of that darkness, once we come out from under our shame, our guilt, and our despair, there's a whole new life that awaits us. That's what the Bible's talking about. That's what Jesus represents. So those of you who are here today, if you're someone who's never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what I've been talking about today has never been a reality in your life. We're offering you the greatest news that could ever be made possible to you. And that's you coming to that light, coming and accepting what Jesus has done on your behalf with his death, burial, and resurrection. Second of all, maybe you're a Christian. And y'all, I've been here, okay? I'm not someone up here looking down on you. I've been there. I, I've encountered the light. I have no doubt in my, life, in, in, in my mind or any doubt in my heart that I've encountered the true light of Jesus Christ. But I have returned to some of the darkness in my life. I'm not, I'm not proud to say that, but here's what I do know. When I'm in that darkness, I'm never settled. I have no peace. 
joy is, seems so far away. You know why? Because I, I've encountered the light. I know what it can be like. I know what it's like to lay my head on a pillow knowing all my sins been forgiven and my past has been erased and I don't have to live in my guilt and my shame. But you know, sometimes I go and I, I, I start reaching out for the darkness and, and the darkness never delivers. Maybe that's where you are today. I don't know. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? We're about to have an invitation here. And as soon as we're through with this invitation, we're done for this morning. But I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. and <clears throat> I want you to focus on what we talked about here today. I don't know where you are. I don't know if, if despair is, is, is what defines you right now. I, I don't know what it is. But I'm here to say this morning, you don't have to live there anymore. It's what the Bible offers. Quit believing what the world says about Jesus. Start looking into his word. Start realizing the hope that's found there. I, I just pray right now for all of you in this room, that whether you're a Christian who's dabbling in darkness, who needs to come back to the light, or you're someone who's never encountered the truth light. I want to invite you to respond this morning. Myself and another pastor will be here at the front. I don't know what your need is. We'd be glad to pray with you about it. I want you to turn your mind and your heart towards what's working in your life right now. And I, I, what I believe is the Holy Spirit. And just yield to what He's saying. You may not have all the answers. You may not even know how to put it in words, what we're offering here. But myself and another pastor here can pray for you or maybe help you understand more fully what you're dealing with. We just ask you to do what God's calling you to do in these moments. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would your heads bow and your eyes closed? We're going to sing a song here. Just focus on what God has provided for you and wants for you this morning. Would you do that? Would your heads bow and your eyes closed? We'll be here at the front. <clears throat>